Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hard to believe it's our first full week into the offseason since the Bengals season ended last week, but what the offseason's all about. Welcome into another Strictly Stripes offseason podcast edition. Muhammad Ahmad back with you for another week alongside Mike Nislik and Andrew Gillis. And I got to ask you guys, jumping into it, did it just feel weird sitting on a Sunday, like not covering the Bengals either at home or on their own? Because I just felt like part of me is like, I shouldn't be sitting at home right now. I got to be somewhere. Like, I don't know if it's just you get into a routine and you just kind of get used to it. But did you guys kind of feel that? This first weekend of like the off season, or do you guys just kind of adapt? Unlike me, I needed a break, so I was cool with it. Yeah. I was cool sitting there watching <laughs> watching basketball and relaxing. So it was uh, it was nice to kind of have a have a little bit of downtime. Yeah, what about you, you Mike? Younger, you guys don't have kids yet, so there's no downtime when you ah, that's right. Yeah, well. I'll definitely enjoy this time being 24 and single while I can. I turned 25 in a month, so I'm still within my prime. I think 24, 25 is that prime age of your 20, so I'm just taking advantage of it. But speaking of watching basketball, I know one of the exciting things, depending on who you ask on Sunday, was the Pro Bowl. Uh, clearly, it's different from how it's been in the past. It's more of a flag football game now for those who haven't really paid attention to it. But um, if we're talking Bengals connections, Jamar Chase and Trey Hendrickson both participated Jamar Chase got the most attention out of the two because he had not one but two tutties, hit a couple gritties for the the kids that were there and the fans. I saw that uh, T. Higgins was there. I think uh, he gave one of his balls to T. And Tyler Boyd was there. I think Chidobi Auzie was there. So gotta gotta have some love from your homies there, which was pretty cool to see. But I don't know if I've asked you guys this on the podcast at least. Um, I forget how long they've been doing the the format they have now, the Pro Bowl. But like, what do you guys think of it? Does it really like make a difference to you? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Like, what what do you think of the way the Pro Bowl kind of is now, just with the new setup? Uh, you know, I, the Pro Bowl has always been weird to me um, because yeah. you like back, like you talk to guys like back in the day where it was like, oh yeah, like we wanted to win, like it was another game. I'm talking like you know Jack Youngblood era NFL, like those people were like super, super intense with the pro bowl. And then, you, talk to every, a lot you know, it, it just kind you of, talk to a lot of what, them? you talk to a lot. Of have them? I talked to a lot of them? Yeah. You, uh, you talk to a lot of them when you talk. To <laughs> them, <laughs> no, he had, cause he had a quote, uh, cause he broke his leg in the playoffs. And then he had a quote where he went, he played in the playoffs and then he played in the pro bowl. Um, and cause they thought the pro bowl was super important. And like, whereas you like compare it to today where, you know, today's guys are kind of like, ah, Sometimes I didn't really want to go. So, like, then you try to do new stuff, but, like, I, I don't know. I don't know, like, what you're supposed to do. Um, flag football feels like a nice compromise um, because nobody yeah, – like, none of the player, none of the players want to play, like, an actual game. None of them – like, because, like, if you remember the Pro Bowls, like, where they actually – like, it was, like, full-on, like, a normal game. By the end, the pass rushers would, like, take two steps and just kind of, like, stand there. Like it was, it was really just kind of boring to watch. So like, 
I don't know. I watched a little bit of it. Um, held my attention for a little bit, but you know, I, I don't really yeah. know what the what the right answer is or what the right fix is because those skills competitions are not necessarily my thing. There are not many people. Yeah, the ratings were terrible. Uh, I think it drew one. <laughs> One point one million viewers. I guess the Grizzlies Cavs game at the same time, a regular season, uh, nothing drew more of an audience. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think people care. I, don't, I mean, they're just going to keep trying things. I mean, this, I guess, is a way for less people to get hurt. But um, I just, uh, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, only one really. When I was looking at the roster quarterbacks. I mean, I think Jalen Hurts was probably the only quarterback in the top 10 that really played. I mean, when Taylor Huntley gets added to the roster, I mean, you can kind of get a sense of how much it matters. Um, it just I still can't believe that. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that, that this is – I mean, this might be the answer for the NFL just in terms of, like, because people won't get hurt, but I don't think that the uh, audience is going to be there for it. Well, yeah, and also didn't Josh Jacobs, like, call it stupid? Like he he he. Yeah, I, I don't he, know if he, he said it on camera on or if he told a reporter, but he yeah. was like, "This is stupid." Like I think he swore <laughs> when he said it. Like yeah, like the I don't think the players are necessarily huge fans of this either. Yeah, I mean, I like what you said though about the compromise with the flag football because I think at this point, like they know whether you make it flag football or you make it the way it's always been for however long, like. I don't think adults are really going to care. So I think they look at it as let's appeal more to like kids and teenagers. Cause if you, you looked on the TV, like during the skills competitions in the game, like there was a lot of kids there and you know, they're going to be like, Oh, I want Jamar Chase's autograph. I want, you know, uh, miles Garrett's autograph or whatever. Speaking of which, I mean, this is crazy, but like as much as you avoid injury in those situations, miles Garrett didn't, I guess what happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas because he suffered a dislocated toe, according to Mary Kay Cabot, our Browns insider. X-rays were negative, and I guess it happened when he was participating against Brian Burns in the gridiron gauntlet, which is one of those skills competitions. So hopefully it's nothing too serious for him. But I guess other than that, everyone stayed in pretty good shape. But, yeah, I think at this point they're just marketing it towards kids. They're going to market it towards uh, just younger adults because I think they realize you're not going to get, like, guys our age, 20s, 30s, 40s, and above, I don't think anyone's really going to be into it. And I mean, even the players themselves, like I think Josh Jacobs spoke for a lot of players who probably kept their thoughts to themselves. So yeah, um, it's interesting, but I think they should just keep it the way it is. Let the kids have their fun for a day and get ready for the Super Bowl, which is only six days away from this day that we're taping the podcast. But we kind of talked about the present. Let's go back in the past a little bit. Well, I guess past and present for those who haven't seen Adriel Jeremiah Green, former Bengals wide receiver, has officially hung up his cleats. He took to Instagram on Monday to announce his retirement, and I think his name speaks for itself. There's a reason why. He's a household name in Cincinnati. He's second all-time in Bengals team history in total touchdowns, receiving yards, and receptions. The only guy ahead of him is also a household name, a.k.a. Chad Johnson Ocho Cinco. Um, so congrats to him, 12 years in the league, two years with Arizona the last two seasons, the first 10, of course, with Cincinnati. And I'm just going to start with this. I feel old because when they drafted A.J. Green, the Bengals did, they drafted him fourth overall in 2011. I was still like 12, 13 years old. So being a kid, I thought, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. So like that's probably the equivalent of like what kids that same age, 12, 13, today would have thought when – 
the Bengals got Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. But I think what's also cool about A.J. Green is his not just his skills. I mean, his longevity he played a good bit in the league. He's one of only a few players to catch a touchdown from both Andy Dalton and Joe Burrow. I mean, he's up there, obviously, with uh, Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon, who are still part of that era, who are still in Cincinnati right now. But I guess when you kind of think about, I mentioned Chad Johnson in the past. You think about TJ Hushmanzada. You go farther back, you think about Carl Pickens and even Eddie Brown when the Bengals went to the Super Bowl in 88. And then you look today with you know Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Where would you kind of rank A.J. Green amongst all those guys? Or how, how do you kind of assess A.J. Green in the shadow of like all those names I mentioned, just from your all's maybe memories and just highlights that you've seen of him. I think it's one and two with he and uh, Chad Johnson, and you can kind of you can kind of pick nits for for what you want. I mean, I, I pulled up some of their stats: yards per reception. AJ Green fourteen and a half. Chad Johnson fourteen point yeah. four. Like sixty six touchdowns for Chad Johnson, sixty five for AJ Green. Uh, 74 yards a game for A.J. Green. He was that 71 close. yards a game for Chad Johnson. Like, they were really, really, uh, you know, kind of neck and neck. Um, Chad Johnson did play uh, 24 more games um, than, right. than A.J. Green did. Uh, but, again, like, it, you, you kind of look at those two careers, and, I mean, they're going to go down as – you know, two of the better, not, I don't, I mean, I don't think receivers too, probably the better, you know, more impactful fan favorite players in Cincinnati. Um, yeah. I mean, AJ Green was, you know, he had a really nice career and, and to kind of go back to your point about feeling old, uh, you know, I saw a screenshot on Twitter. Uh, here are the, some of the first 15 picks of that draft. Uh, Cam Newton went first, Von Miller second, Man. AJ Green fourth, Man. Patrick Peterson fifth, Julio sixth. Uh, Jake Locker. Oh, I remember those days. Uh, Tyron <laughs> Smith, Dallas went ninth. Blaine Gabbert, JJ Watt, Robert Quinn, Christian Ponder. Like there were some really kind of crazy names in there that you can, you know, obviously there's some, there's some flops. There's some hall of fame players in there. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the end of that era. You know, the, the guys who kind of came up in that, in that time are, are starting to leave. JJ Watt just retired. AJ Green just retired. Um, it's kind of a kind of a crazy world. Well, I think the bigger question, because I mean, I think he's clearly number two in Bengals history in terms of receivers. I mean, it's with an asterisk because I mean, if Jamar Chase spends like three more years here, he'll surpass almost all those numbers, maybe four. But um, in terms of him, you know, he had such a high peak. His what first eleven, twelve, thirteen point six seasons uh, were really incredible. Uh, but then sort of fell off a cliff, missed the 2019 season. Um, I think the ma- bigger question is, is he Hall of Fame worthy? Because um, he's certainly on that bubble. Um, you know, you could argue that his first six seasons were among, you know, like the most impactful. But, you know, really in that back half of his career, um, you know, fell off significantly. Um, you know, I, I think he's on that bubble. And I, and I don't know that he gets it. I mean, only – um, one 1,000-yard season in that last seven seasons, uh, two of those obviously spent with Arizona. Um, yeah, you know, I think he'll, there's an argument to be made for him just because of how, you know, impactful he, he was coming out of, uh, you know, entering the league. But um, I just don't know if he had the longevity statistically um, to, to make it, to match up with some of the better receivers in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Here's the, yeah. the the five before him in terms of all time receiving yards and the five after him. So here are the five before. Keyshawn Johnson, uh Stanley Morgan, 
Gary Clark, Roddy White, Joey Galloway. Uh, then the five after him, Mike Evans, going to pass him next year, assuming Mike Evans plays. Harold Jackson, Travis Kelsey, going to pass him next year. Santana Moss and Lance Allworth. Um, I don't know how many of those guys are Hall of Famers. Um, Mike I, Evans might be, I think. I Mike Evans, Mike is, Evans I think Mike more. Evans is a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah. But uh, Kelsey, I, of I, course. Right. Um, and I think just kind of looking at this list, the numbers don't stack up. I think, you know, you can get into this argument with, you know, like a Matt Stafford where, you know, the end of his career, it's like he won a Super Bowl. If he plays a few more years, his numbers are going to be fourth in this and sixth in this. And he, he's it's going to be high up there with, with A.J. Green, a guy like that who, you know, didn't win a Super Bowl, didn't um, – you know, didn't really do – he was a seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, but, you know, he wasn't – you know, I don't think he was ever really universally considered, like, the best at his position. He wasn't like a Megatron. Yeah, he wasn't like a top player in his league. So if you're not that, you need some of the numbers to kind of back up. And I wonder if if those numbers kind of hamper him um, just because you're, you're going to get passed by some guys in your era. Um, you know, I mentioned, like, Julio Jones is one of the best receivers ever, and he was in his draft class. Um, yeah. so you're just kind of a product of your era because you've got to stand out in some way. And, and I don't think uh, he, he is on that bubble though. I don't think he won a playoff game in his career. Um, obviously not that he did him. So, I mean, I don't know if that matters. He didn't like the playoff. I, I don't know. Andrew, don't have that's a, moment that's to a tough shine. one. I think that's going to hurt him a lot. Yeah. You don't have a moment to shine sort of in the postseason. Um, uh, but I just, uh, it's just uh, more data points against him. I don't think that's sort of like the defining thing, but uh, it does stack with you. And I think with receivers, it's going to be harder because the numbers are just going to keep getting better. Um, yeah. You know, this is much more of a passing league. So, um, you know, it's just it, uh, it's harder to stand out as a receiver unless you're something special like a, a Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson type uh, Tyreek Hill where, you know, you're just putting out sort of crazy numbers because that, that's what, you know, even your sort of pedestrian wide receivers right now um, just rack up numbers. Yeah, and I mean, I see both arguments of the playoff situation as to where he didn't really win a playoff game because, you know, the Bengals didn't win a playoff game until basically Joe Burrow came and they made that Super Bowl run. But, like, there's some good players that are Hall of Fame light or Hall of Famers who I don't even think played in the playoffs, but that number's just so small. And they made up for it by being just like you said, like, a Megatron, like a Barry Sanders. Like, Barry Sanders, I think, made the postseason only a handful of times. He made an NFC championship his third year, and since then, like, the Lions probably made the playoffs once or twice. So, I mean, but that's the thing. He was just that good. It didn't matter. I mean, he was one of the – he was and still is one of the best of all time. And so, yeah, like, you talk about the current players closing the gap. You talk about just uh, the poor postseason resume, which I'm not going to say is completely his fault. He actually did pretty good in the playoffs, but just – Everything else is that's another podcast conversation, but um, it's definitely tough, and, and it's just crazy because he left right before um, the Bengals basically went to the Super Bowl. Like he had just just missed on that window, and obviously he's not bitter about it. He even you know congratulated the Bengals on on his social media when they made the Super Bowl last year. So, um, but I'm sure deep down he probably wonders like, dang, that could like. Could have been in the Super Bowl, could have been in the playoffs, but, you know, could have, should have, would have. It is what it is, but I don't know. If, if you want to kind of compare him to the now, like beyond the Hall of Fame debate, which, again, I think 
Right now, he's leaning against it. It's it's a little tough right now because of all the aforementioned things. But I was thinking about this, and you guys might think I'm a freak when I say this, but like, if you want to kind of compare him to like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, I think if somehow like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins had a baby, it would be AJ Green. I see like so much in both of them that like you could literally combine into both of them. Yeah, I know you people can't see it. You guys have the looks on your face, but look. He was just as fast and explosive as Jamar Chase. He wasn't as tall. Or he was taller because, you know, Jamar Chase is just over six feet and T. Higgins is almost 6'5", but he had the same vertical, the same ability to beat double coverages. Um, his balance, the way he stayed on his feet, even when he was breaking one or two tackles, reminds me so much of, like, what T. Higgins has shown, you know, in the sample size he's had in three seasons. Um, and I mean, there's only more we have to see from like Jamar Chase and Higgins, but I'm saying if you give me what, like I've seen from those two, their two, three combined seasons, and you give me what AJ Green did in his first nine years in Cincinnati when he played with Andy Dalton, it's kind of like a cross hybrid between the two. And it makes me wonder if you had like 2011 AJ Green with a modern day Joe Burrow, I just wonder I always wonder, like, what would that look like? Because we know what it was like with Andy Dalton. They were both drafted in the same class, one round apart. But could you guys just imagine, like, a prime A.J. Green with a Joe Burrow that's playing the way he is today? I mean, like, you know, how much Chase different do you think that would be? Jamar Chase is better, right? I think in, in those well, attributes, I think he's faster. I think he's quicker. better than he is, and they're on the team right now. So what if you had A.J. Green and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, but not Tyler Boyd? So, like, Chase is the number two or the number one. A.J. Green's the one or two, and then Higgins is the number three. What if you, you know, you, you kind of fantasize it like that? What do you, what do you imagine? Like, what you're saying, like? so A.J., Jamar, and T. Higgins? Yeah, like prime A.J., prime A.J. Green. Well, not I mean, what if Aaron Donald was, was on the 2000 Ravens? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't know. Oh, no. Like I, I don't know. Like I think. Um, well, well that, hang on. That's that's a far fetched comparison. Like that that team was a Hall of Fame yeah, team. But, like, I don't know so if the, the twenty one Bengals were in that league. Yeah, the year that um, you know the year that it was AJ Green and and Joe Burrow and Joe, uh, T Higgins. Um, AJ Green forty seven catches five hundred twenty three yards. Like he he was fine. He wasn't kind of what he was. But then you replace, you know, a player who can put up 1,400 yards in a season with a player who can put up 1,400 yards in a season. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think, um, you know, I think you, you do, like if you're wondering what A.J. Green would have looked like with, uh, with Joe Burrow, I think maybe functionally it looks different with kind of how it happens, but I think the end result is That's what I'm saying. Like how functionally different would it be? Still, I I don't know, maybe more deep ball, maybe more deep balls, but like Jamar put up 1,400 yards in his rookie year, um, 1,455 uh, to be exact. And um, uh, like AJ Green never did that, like in his career. And I understand Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Andy Dalton was, but – you have an elite level receiver. I don't know if you need to do much fantasizing about, oh, you know, what it, it's, you know, what if the Bengals had another elite receiver? I, they already have one elite receiver and a second very, 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 very good receiver. Yeah, I, this is not to take away from like what Jamar Chase has done. I'm not saying, oh, you know, 
swap out Jamar Chase. I'm just saying, like, just put Jamar aside for a second. Like, even put T aside for a second. On the same team, but aside. And just think about Joe Burrow throwing a beautiful, lofty vertical to 2011 A.J. Green. Like, not taking away from those guys. I'm just saying, like, that could have been something. And I'm not saying the Bengals didn't hit the jackpot with any Dalton. I mean, they really didn't. But, I mean, he could have been way, way worse. I mean, he still took him to the playoffs. Although they didn't win a single one of them, which that is one of the most paradoxical eras, I think, in Bengals history. But the point is, they're all good receivers. They're all talented. Like, I think Jamar Chase, like, to your point, Mike, I think he is better overall, holistically. I think there's some areas where A.J. Green has an advantage, like his vertical, his leap, and his 6'4 frame. But I think even then, like, with Jamar Chase's height, like, we've seen him make catches in double coverage. We saw the fourth and sixth catch. In Kansas City, which even for what that loss is worth, I think was one of the best catches of his career. Like, overall, he's better. He is better. But, man, that would have been a heck of a duo. I, I think primetime A.J. Green with any elite quarterback would have been fun to watch. But the past is in the past, and now we move forward. And when we come back, we're going to look to the future after looking in the past and present as we talk Senior Bowl kind of talk about some guys that stood out where the Bengals can maybe put some stock in some senior bowl players. Plus we continue the coaching carousel as Luana Rumo gets another big shot. And we talk about that and much, much more right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So we've gone through the past, we've gone through the present. So why not look into the future a little bit? We had the senior bowl wrap up this past weekend and Mobile, Alabama. Um, it's where you get kind of your, you get some day one guys, but a lot of your day two, day three guys, uh, draft wise speaking at least, who show off their guns and their talents uh, with a chance of raising and elevating their stock. Earlier last week, I wrote about some guys to watch in the game, and granted, you have so many players who only get a few reps each, so um, really any names that you see in that game, if they play, they only play so much, but uh, I think one name that comes to mind since I think the biggest priority, one of the biggest priorities draft-wise, no matter what happens in free agency, I think is tackle. I think if the Bengals maybe don't hit that first round, they want to get kind of like a day two, maybe late day one uh, tackle. I could see them going with, uh, if you're just looking strictly at senior bowl talent, I think Blake, Blake Freeland out of BYU looked good, um, didn't allow any sacks, only allowed a couple pressures. He's a name I didn't really hear about much until, to be honest, coming into this past weekend. He was one of the top 10 pass blockers, according to PFF. He was a third-team All-American. I mean, he played at BYU, which didn't do much this year, so maybe that's where he got overshadowed. But his numbers look pretty good. He, I saw this. This is interesting. He won javelin and shot, put state titles in Utah in high school. Um, that's, I think, a name to look at if you're not looking for maybe that day one first-round Prime talent, I also think, um, even though he didn't really play much in the game, Chase Brown, who was on the national team, I think if you look at his tape, um, if you maybe want to hit him day two, day three, that's a guy that could be on the come up. His brother, Sidney, plays defensive back. Uh, he played for Illinois, too. They both played at Illinois, so you never know if the Bengals want to look at corner. Sidney's not a bad guy to look at. And speaking of which, I don't know that. The Bengals can land this guy because he's considered like really, really prime potential. But Devin Witherspoon, another Illinois cornerback. I'm not biased, I promise. These are just names that I've really been looking at. Um, if you want to add some depth behind Chidobia Wuzier with his ACL injury and Cam Taylor-Britt and Eli Apple possibly not coming back next year, 
Maybe you try to go for him. I don't know. I'm not Duke Tobin. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. Uh, I think defensively, uh, up front, which I think they should look at in the draft for depth, like a defensive tackle, I think Keanu Benton from Wisconsin was good. Um, Dan Lobby, who covers the Browns, actually wrote about him a little bit because I think the Browns could even use a guy like him. You know, they have Zach Carter, who they drafted in the third round last year. He's great, and I think they should stick with him too, but never hurts to have a, a little more depth next to him. So, I mean, he was, what, all Big Ten at Wisconsin, 10 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks last year. And then everyone's talking about Michael Mayer at tight end. I think the best player not named Michael Mayer who's a tight end in the draft is Luke Musgrave. He showed that in the game, playing for the American team. And again, whether they keep Hayden, they don't keep Hayden Hurst and or Drew Sample or even Mitchell Wilcox, although I think Wilcox obviously stays. If you don't keep either of the other two, and you can't really land someone like a Michael Mayer, as awesome as that would be for the Cincinnati area. I think Musgrave is definitely slept on, mostly because he was hurt in his senior year. But when he wasn't hurt, he looked really good. If he wasn't hurt, you could even put him like neck and neck with Mayer. Uh, but enough of me rambling. What do you guys think of those names? Are there other names that stick out? What do you make of this weekend's past Pro Bowl? Not Pro Bowl. We're talking about the Pro Bowl, the Senior Bowl. First, the Senior Bowl, the game itself is kind of irrelevant. It's the week of practices. Uh, I've covered it twice. Um, the game sort of, all the scouts leave. Uh, oh, you did? At the end of the That's week. awesome. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the practices that, that matter, that they, they watch the practices, and that's where they get the you know, sense of who's having an impactful week. So that the game is sort of secondary to all of that. Um, in terms of, well, I, I think, tight end, you mentioned Luke Musgrave. Um, during the week, he ran, it was clocked at going over 20 miles per hour. He's 6'5", 255 pounds, um, one of only nine players that accomplished that. And the only tight end that's done that uh, when they've measured that over the last five years. I mean, could you imagine a guy like that with that speed? Uh, lined up with uh, Chase and Higgins. They're, they're saying, you know, his uh, measurables might get him in the uh, top 50 picks. Um, you know, so that would leave the Bengals. It would be hard hard to get him. But, um, you know, if you want to have an impact player at that position, um, he's certainly a guy out of Oregon State. I think that'd be the, he'd be their first, first round pick ever, um, you know, in terms of having impact. But, uh, you know, he obviously, with tight end being, you know, an uh, position to watch i don't think hayden hurst um would be a bad option to keep um you know resign at a, at a favorable deal if you wanted to kind of focus elsewhere but um he was a guy that i, I you know just you know based on some of those things you know that the size wise and then the skills um really jumped out yeah um you know, I've seen. Um, I believe is uh, the pronunciation is Cody Malk or Malk. I don't know what whatever the kid's yeah, name Cody is. Yeah, Cody Malk, I think uh, is his from name. North Dakota yeah. State. Um, you know, if you if you're gonna go tackle, uh, they obviously liked what Cordell Volson gave him. Um, you know, if you if you're gonna draft a kid who you kind of need to be ready. Uh, you know, you you don't want to necessarily draft a project um, because who knows what's gonna happen with Leo Collins? Is he gonna be ready for the? start a training camp for the start of the season for the start of preseason. Um, you know, you, you might have to bring in a guy who, who is like that. So, you know, I've seen a lot of him, um, heard a lot about Tajay Spears again, but like Mike said, uh, the, by the way, the Spears, the running back from, um, uh, from Tulane. Uh, but again, like the thing that like Mike said, you have a whole season of tape um, to kind of look at, you know, you've got 12 games of sample size from a kid's year, maybe 13 or 14, 
you got previous years. You can kind of evaluate. I don't know if, you know, you're necessarily learning a ton about these guys on the field in a, in a week. So I've always kind of laughed at, you know, senior bowl risers and fallers. Um, you know, I think sometimes you can talk to people and, you know, the conversations that you have maybe force a guy to go off a board or down a board or whatever, because you, you know, NFL coaches get to see what these guys are like in person. You get to kind of have conversations with them and see that how kind of their practice habits and things like that. Um, so obviously that's um, so that, you know, that that's obviously kind of something that I've always kind of poked fun at. But, you know, to me, I think one of the one of the unique things about kind of this offseason, I'm, I'm glad Mike mentioned tight end. I wonder if this offense, you know, instead of if you're not going to look at a tackle, if you don't try and add a, a, a tight end that can block, um, you know, because you can you know, you can talk about the Bengals tight ends and oh, Hayden Hurst is. You know, he, he really gave you a lot and you're going to get, you know, sample back and you're going to get, you know, maybe bring Mitchell Wilcox back. Like there, there's guys you could bring, but none of them are like plus level blockers. Um, you know, everybody talked about Hayden Hurst, you know, improving as a blocker, but I don't think blocking is what he's ever really going to be known for. So I wonder if you don't kind of try to run more 12 personnel, things like that. So tight end, I think, is kind of uh, an interesting way around not drafting a tackle at least in the early rounds. Like if you're not going to draft a tackle second round, third round, I think adding a tight end would kind of give you a little bit of help. Uh, you know, makes it a little bit easier on those guys. If you have a guy who's a pretty good blocker that can chip defensive ends like TJ Watt and stuff like that. So um, yeah, yeah. A, a tight end that got uh, interesting uh, reviews during the week with fits sort of that skill set and is probably a better pass catcher than uh, Mitchell Wilcox is Payne Durham out of Purdue, 6'5", 258. Um, one of the stats that jumped out of reading about him was that his the quarterback rating when he's targeted is 116.8, uh, but he's a very good inline blocker and really impressed some uh, scouts this week during uh, during practice. So he kind of fits that mold and probably somebody you don't have to obviously take in the first round. Um, it'll depend kind of what they want to do. Uh, at one point, I did I miss Oregon State's had first round draft picks. They he'd be the first one since 2014 and only second one in the last 20 years. Uh, Musgrave, so still uh, rare, not as rare as I mentioned, but misspoke there. But I, I, what do you guys think in terms of defensively? You know, I was looking at the contracts and uh, you know Trey Hendrickson's contract now the dead cap number is really low the next two years. Um, and his cap hit is really high if they, they keep him. You know, trying to get a pass rusher this year to sort of develop him to, uh, you know, eventually kind of line up their replacement. Uh, one guy in the senior bowl this week that kind of drew attention was Will McDonald from Iowa State. Um, had kind of a crazy resume um, out of there. You know, one of the uh, 34 sacks, Big 12 career record. Um, 34% of his tackles were for a loss. Um, size-wise, is very different. He's, he's kind of like I, I heard described as like a small forward, kind of lean. Um, but, you know, developing a guy uh, that could kind of take your, your place to Trey Hendrickson, who would seem like a likely cap hit, you know, next year, maybe not this year. but um, And they need more pass rush, I, I feel like. Yeah, I, I kind of like that just generally because, you know, I mentioned that offensive tackle – like if you're going to pick one, you depending on what Lyle Collins' health is, and you know Jonah Williams was kind of banged up this year, you might need a guy to play immediately. Defensive end, you don't really need to do that. Uh, so I, I kind of like that, um, just from uh, you know, I, I guess you know, thirty thousand foot view because you've got Hubbard and Hendrickson, and then you've got Osai and Sample behind them. It, you, you feel good about 
kind of where you're at, at, at defensive end. So if you want to draft a guy who maybe is a little bit raw, uh, you could kind of develop. I think that that would be a really, really nice approach to this because, you know, good teams, they, they draft best player available. Um, you know, but they also kind of look at where their team is at, uh, and what you need. I mean, you know, the Bengals right now, they don't, you know, you don't really need a defensive end to come in and start. Uh, you don't, it's okay if you have to take a project. And, and I think that that is a, uh, I think that that's kind of a nice little, a nice little way around kind of adding, um, defensive ends and kind of stockpiling yourself for the future. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good point, Mike. I'm actually glad you brought that up because, yeah, Hendrickson's contract is through the 2024-2025 season. So uh, got two years left, but he is expensive. He's shown why he is. I mean, he's pro bowler for a reason, and he set the franchise record for sacks in a single season. So he's been worth the money, but, I mean, when you're in the Joe Burrow contract extension era, like, you got to think in the long term. So, yeah, I think you can definitely plan for that. And kind of like like Andrew said, get a project out of it, develop someone like that next to someone like Joseph Osai. You still got Sam Hubbard for a good bit because he signed an extension last year. So Sam Hubbard's locked down for the next couple of years, and he's playing some of the best football he's played in his career, even with standing injuries. I think uh, this Freeland kid I mentioned uh, out of BYU, he's not really much of a project. I mean, I know Pro Football Network, the assessment they had is he kind of brings a nice mix of raw speed, power, and athleticism. Um, he reminds me a lot of Cordell Vosen, like you said, because well, Cordell's about six seven, six eight. Freeland's just a quarter inch under six eight, uh, three hundred and twenty pounds. So, you know, if his stock only gets higher and higher, and they're like they like his tape, like I mentioned, the Pro Football Focus grades and whatever else they see. Um, I'm assuming BYU will have a pro day, and you know he has a good pro day. He has other showings. Maybe gets invited to the combine. I think. You can definitely make a case for him there if you want to build around tackle and then say whatever happens to Lyle Collins, Jonah Williams, you got guys you could put in there. And then with running back, we'll just kind of have to see what happens with Joe Mixon. But even then, I think you still want to have depth behind him because, I mean, Mixon's not going to be around forever either. He's got two years left on his extension that he signed two years ago. So always good to plan for the future. To wrap up with the future, uh, for those who missed it, Lou Anarumo is one of three known finalists for the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job. He will be getting a second interview this week. Um, I know Mike Kafka was one of the other of the three finalists for that job. So it looks like things are uh, getting pretty serious here for Lou. Sweet Lou, as I like to call him. So I haven't seen the updated odds on the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job candidates or the the Colts because I know Brian Callahan just had a second interview, but kind of two parts here. What would the Cardinals be getting if they decide to hire Anarumo and if Anarumo decides to go there? And how we've talked about how he'd be a bigger hit leaving than Callahan, but why or what rather would the Bengals be losing out of a guy like that if he somehow leaves and takes that job, if he gets it? Andrew. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I think, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's always funny. I never know. I never know. Like, I, I don't want to jump in and, you know, when Mike has something to say or vice versa. Um, but, you know, sure. when you get Flores and, and Kafka and Anaruma there, I, I think you, it, it's an interesting mix. Um, you've obviously got a guy with head coaching experience there. Um, you know, if the Cardinals do move on him, on Anarumo, that is, uh, you know, you're going to get a guy who, 
you feel pretty good about what he can do with uh, with your defense. Um, I, I'm curious. I would be curious to see what that offense looks like because obviously Lou's background is in defense. Um, you've got DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown. Um, I really like that tight end. They have Trey McBride. You got Zach Ertz. Obviously, Kyler's coming off a knee. Like you've got some interesting choices there offensively. So I think that if you get the right coordinator in there offensively you could really do some good things because defensively, I mean, you kind of look at their depth chart. I like Isaiah Simmons. I still think, you know, you can do a lot of really, really, really cool stuff with him, but you know, JJ Watts retiring. Um, there's not a ton of guys on that list that you look at and go, you know, this is a, this is a solid player. This is a solid starter. This is a plus starter, whatever you want to say. Like, I, I think that you really kind of need lose expertise there defensively. So I think that that's kind of what makes him attractive. But again, Brian Flores has done this. Like Brian Flores coached in Miami oh, yeah. when they were quite literally trying to lose. And uh, he turned that team around. They won like five games. I think they won like five and 11. Um, that first week of the year, I think they lost to the Ravens like like 59 to 10 or something like that. Like they, the guys didn't want to be there. And they ended the season by beating the Patriots in New England. Um, you know, Brian Flores can coach a team that isn't necessarily – supposed to be very good so uh you know i think that you know you've got two, those would be kind of my two favorites uh in a room on floors just kind of looking at the outlook of the team but you need a guy who's going to be able to handle handle kyler because he's your franchise quarterback and and frankly he's your franchise quarterback. <laughs> well, yeah i think that's sort of the crazy part of it like if you're lou like it's going to be really difficult spot unless you have like a really good offensive coordinator in mind that you think could um, sort of unlock Kyler's potential because um, I mean he's locked up now through uh, 2028 uh, his salary um, you know and cap hit is is you know insane um, so you know it's it's they, they go as he goes and obviously you know you had an offensive minded coach that he sunk essentially because um, they couldn't get along and he couldn't get them to focus and sort of dive in. And so are you really going to, you've got, you, you, you can't move on from him. So you're, you're, uh, you have to decide that he's a franchise quarterback yeah. and comparing him and Joe Burrow in terms of like their, um, you know, emphasis, you know, all do Joe does is eat, sleep and breathe football. Do you want a guy that doesn't have that? And, you know, you saw what it takes to win. Uh, but these jobs are very rare, but I, you know, to, to go with a defensive-minded coach I think would be very strange for Arizona, um, and I think his tenure would be successful or not based on his offensive coordinator hire. I think you'd need to land, you need to hit a home run with that right off the, off the bat or you're going to be, I, I think, in trouble. I think it's a tough landing spot for a defensive-minded coach just because of all that. Yeah, and, and I like agreed on that because you look at kind of where the roster is right now, um, 2023. Kyler Murray has a $16 million cap hit. He's under contract through 2028. So from 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28, here are his cap numbers. 51 million, and there's a little bit of change here, but 51 million, 45 million, 55 million, 43 million, 46 million. This team is Oof. this team is invested in Kyler Murray. This team is ready to – and you can't really get out of that for the first two years. So, like, you're going to have $33 million in dead money if you get out of him in 2025. So like that's not a place you want to be. So it, again, it it matters like Mike said because if even if you hire if you you could make the greatest offensive coordinator hire in the world 
but what's to stop that that coordinator is not going to leave after 2023? Like, you've got to believe in your heart of hearts that Kyler's the guy, and you've got to have a plan for him if you're going to take that job. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's very tough because you laid out the picture. And, I mean, just in general, no offense to the Cardinals, but in their team history, they haven't had a head coach last more than six seasons ever. This even goes back to when they were in St. Louis and Chicago. Even Wisenhunt and Bruce Arians, those guys didn't last that long, and they had some pretty successful tenures. Like Wisenhunt took them to a Super Bowl. Arians almost did with Carson Palmer. So that just tells you a lot. Um, again, no offense to them, but like, it's just not. They're kind of like what the Bengals were up until Joe Burrow kind of changed the face of that team. Like, they just didn't really do much. And I don't personally have that much faith in Kyler, which is why I would definitely be worrisome about whether it's Mike Kafka or Brian Flores or Luana Rumo. Like, can you really make it work even with a home run coordinator? Defensively, um, I think Anna Rumo could bring that up and not a heartbeat. I mean, it took them two, three years to build the Bengals defense up to a Super Bowl defense. But like, I mean, even if you give them time to build that up, it all comes down to like, what can you do with Kyler? What can you do with DeAndre Hopkins? AJ Green just retired. So now you need another wide receiver. That's probably going to be one of their draft priorities, especially now that he's, he's done. So honestly, if I'm Luana Rumo, like hearing what you guys said and just my own perception of the organization and Kyler Murray, I don't think that's a job you take. I think it's a great experience for him that he's getting that recognition that he's a, a top three finalist. And that's, that's good for him. He's, very, very well deserving of it. I've been saying this for like months now, but I don't think Arizona's it. Um, Brian Callahan has already been eliminated from consideration for that job, so we'll see what happens in Indy with that coaching search. I think, not jumping to conclusions here, but to kind of wrap with this, I mean, if somehow things get serious with uh, Indy and Brian Callahan, I don't think that'd be a bad spot. I think if he's confident they can draft a good quarterback and they can work with what they've got and maybe make some moves in free agency, I don't know. I don't think, again, just like with Zach Taylor, it wasn't an overnight thing. It took Zach Taylor two losing seasons and the top overall draft pick to get where they are. But, like, give the Colts maybe two, three years, assuming Callahan's under the wheel. Like, I don't know. I and mean, it wouldn't be the worst spot in the world. But, yeah, Arizona, I mean, good luck to whoever takes that job. I, I genuinely wish them my best because, man, I just feel pain thinking about that. That, that hurts. But, we're going to end on a good note, which is that this week we're going to kind of wrap up the regular season looking at different positional groups from quarterback to wide receiver all the way up to the defensive secondary, how they did, how they'll fare next year, and why that is, plus much, much more on free agency and our predictions for what's going to happen in over a month. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nizek, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We'll see you tomorrow. And make sure you sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash bankers.